Hey, everybody, and welcome. My name is Gene Marks. Uh, I write every week uh, for a bunch of publications that you uh, hopefully uh, read. Uh, the Guardian, The Hill, The Washington Times, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Forbes, and Entrepreneur. Uh, but more importantly, um, I'm a certified public accountant, and I own my own business, a small business outside of Philadelphia. I have 10 employees, about 600 clients, small and medium-sized businesses, uh, mostly in the Philadelphia area as well. And so uh, today's conversation we're going to have um, is not only going to impact you who's watching this, but also it's going to impact me as a business owner. We've had a lot of changes. We have just completed an election, and we are going to assume that uh, the election results are, are still going to hold, even though I realize there are certain things still being contested, and that uh, President-elect uh, Biden will become president with his administration. Um, there are a lot of things that a Biden administration is planning on doing, um, a lot of things that could come out of Congress as well this year, things that will impact us as business owners um, and we want to know what those things are and what kind of actions we should be taking, what things we should be doing to prepare, what plans we should be making, because all the things that Washington might be doing over the next couple of years will impact our spending, our investments, and our hiring. So to do that, I have joined uh, with me today three great experts, all from Paychex Corporation, who is going to, all of them having their own specialties that are going to be providing us with what they know and what they expect and what they um, think is going to happen over the next couple of years with some advice uh, that I think will help us. Uh, the first person that I'm going to be talking to is, in, and let me introduce him, is Thad Inge. Thad is a, uh, Thad is a senior manager of uh, government relations with Paychex. Uh, Thad, that means that you're like boots on the ground in Washington. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. Uh, hey, Gene, good to be here. Um, yeah, I work a lot with Congress, work a lot with the executive branch, uh, different industry coalitions um, here in D.C., and really looking out for our customers, small businesses, as, as well as paychecks, the company. Yeah. So I guess your job is to whatever federal regulations are going on, you need to stay on top of all of that and then uh, make sure that all the powers that be back in Rochester, where paychecks is located, you know, are up to speed. So their clients are advised, correct? Exactly. And we push for policies that we think are good for, for our clients as well. Got it. All right. Great, Dad. Mike Traybold is the Director of Compliance Risk at Paychex. Mike, um, tell me, what exactly does that mean? What does that mean? So, uh, you know, compliance risk at Paychex means pretty much two things. One is, you know, what most people would think of uh, that a compliance department does, just, you know, it's keeping uh, our company out of trouble, compliant with right. what we have to, to be compliant with. Uh, but, you know, the, the really significant part now, certainly after an election, is really looking at all the, the, the legislation and regulations that impact uh, our clients to make sure that we're uh, abreast of what all the changes are, doing an assessment of what, what might come from them, making sure that all of that is embedded appropriately in our, in our systems and operations, and then uh, also spending a lot of time uh, dealing with our um, you know, the, the tax agencies, the various regulators that we, we have to interface with. That's the, at a real high level, is, is the gist of it. Got it. And as a Paychex client myself, that means that, you know, you're making sure that I'm in compliance with all the rules, I guess, both federal and statewide, and I can rely on you to do that, right? We are doing our best. Obviously, that <laughs> requires some input from you, but yeah, that's uh, that's what we uh, we basically do for our, on behalf of our clients. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, Lori Savage, Lori, uh, she's a complete, Lori, you are the senior compliance analyst with Paychex, if I have that title correctly. And I, I just have to ask you, so, uh, you know, is Mike is your boss? Yes. Yes, Mike is my boss. 
is <laughs> what is what is your day to day? My day to day is managing Mike. Yeah. Um, that's a full time job. Yeah, that's pretty. A, that's pretty much job. it. If I can get through that, I can get through anything. But no, my day to day. Mike mentioned a lot of it. I pretty much um, run a lot of teams that uh, that are looking at some of this very intricate policy. You know the. The Affordable Care Act was my first big one, and then we went into tax reform, and then, you know, this this pandemic hit, and COVID nineteen mm -hmm. sort of took up our lives, and we had to dissect and integrate that the implications of that intricate policy. So, um, that's been my day to day, uh, as, as well as uh, some of the stuff that's more traditional compliance. That's sort of my side job sometimes. Got it. I got it. All right, so guys, let's get to work here. Um, Thad, I'm going to start with you. I mean, you should, you should. Um, I mean, no, I'm talking to you right now from from you know, studios here in Philadelphia. And uh, starting today, uh, you know, our city is uh, basically going under lockdown. You know, restaurants are no longer allowed to have indoor diners. Um, even the outdoor diners, the ones that are going to be shivering, uh, it's Philadelphia. Uh, you know, have to be limited in size and from immediate families. And uh, fitness centers have to close. Uh, you know, you know, even my own my own family's Thanksgiving has basically had to be canceled because we're not allowed to have anybody outside of our immediate household uh, into our house. It's it, it's a big issue, and there are a lot of small businesses, uh, not just in Philadelphia but all around the country, uh, that are undergoing you know shutdowns and lockdowns, restrictions, similar things that a lot of the businesses in Philadelphia are going through uh, right now. And 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 we're all asking about uh, the next round of stimulus. So Thad, let me. Let me put that question to you. Um, when will that next stimulus be? You know, and and you know, will there be a stimulus? And and if so, what do you think would be part of that stimulus package? And I think that question of when is is kind of the magic question. They've been at this six months, Congress trying to negotiate the package, and haven't been able to get it done. Um, right now, the timing couldn't be better in terms of the need. Uh, you've got. Um, a lot of stuff that's expiring, the tax credits, different things at the end of the year. And then you've got this winter coming, as you said, where we're, we're scared about uh, potential shutdowns. Uh, we're scared about sort of the outside dining going away, uh, people staying inside. And so, you know, we're hoping uh, sooner rather than later. Um, Congress obviously hasn't acted rationally uh, around this at all times. And so, um, you know, they're not there yet. They haven't been willing to strike that compromise or able to strike that compromise. Um, you've got uh, Pelosi that's, that's asking for a bigger bill than, than the Republicans are, are willing to do. Um, and so if it, you know, if it doesn't happen before the end of the year, I think there's still some hope, although it's, there are lots of obstacles. Um, then I think we're looking at January, February, probably when Biden comes in. Um, and uh, he has said uh, it will be his top priority to pass a COVID-19 uh, recovery package. And so um, I think that would be likely when we could get it done. And we're pushing really hard for it here because we think small businesses really need that extra help to get over the, to get over the hump. You know, Lori, I mentioned the, the Paycheck Protection Program. And I know you do a lot of, lot of work with clients um, on that and being you know, in compliance with it. So a lot of people were asking about forgiveness. Uh, the rules have changed a lot, even over the past few weeks. Even up till today, there's been some new, you know, uh, new rules that were issued. Um, you know, I, but then I, I'm also understand that a new stimulus package could include even more rules for forgiveness and change them. So, so, Lori, what, what are you telling your small business customers about forgiveness? Do we apply now? Do we wait for forgiveness? What would be the best, the best tactic to do? Well, and and. Um... 
you sort of hit the nail on the head. Uh, this has been a moving target. We, we are consistently updating and changing um, exactly where the guidance goes as well as, as where um, the legislation takes it. So we went from eight weeks forgivable to 24 weeks forgivable, and then we looked at the full-time equivalency reductions and, and exactly what that would mean and what the safe harbors and carve-outs were. Now we have a simplistic uh, form to fill out for people who had loans under 50,000 in general. Again, there are specific rules, so I'm going to, everything I say from now on, let's just use the caveat that, that um, this is in general and there are always carve-outs and specifics. Right. But I think um, if there is something in the next package, which it appears that this one would be, as, as Thad mentioned, has wide support, uh, I think it's going to be more targeted. So we might have additional rules on rules. It's like we have layers on layers that we have right. to go through. But, but as far as waiting on forgiveness, um, if the funds are spent and you can maximize your full forgiveness, consulting whatever lending institution you utilize to get the loan would be advisable. We, we um, have helped our clients by providing them the data needed that we have and, and packaging that up for them. So hopefully, if they're at that stage, I would say the next package is probably going to be a layer on this layer. And I don't know if, uh, Thad, you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and you know, we saw about 25 interim final rules, the regulations that <laughs> rolled out after um, PPP initially passed. So there were lots of rules on top of, top of rules, lots of changes. Um, it's been challenging, I think, for small businesses to keep up for that, as well as for banks. Yep. Uh, but on the whole, I think businesses really use this money well. Of course, you know, we saw a little bit of fraud, um, but I think on the whole, the program was successful and it helped people weather the storm. And as we enter, you know, these next few months where people are hopeful about the news around a vaccine and um, they just need a little help to get to the other end, uh, which is what uh, this more targeted package uh, could provide. Okay, so Thad, predicting you're thinking if you're if you're placing butts, uh, looking at a stimulus package probably after the first of the year. Um, you know, you know, Lori, you're saying as far as forgiveness is concerned, you should be probably holding up a little bit to waiting to see what this next stimulus bill would be. Um, as an accountant myself and a lot of the bankers that I know. Uh, we're all trying to still figure out what the existing rules are, let alone what the new rules are going to be. And before I get off the topic of stimulus, that, uh, the um, business liability is a big contentious issue among the two, you know, among the two parties. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, you know, right now there really is no insurance for a business if somebody contracts COVID and sues them, and you know, potential liability, you know, related to that. Uh, you know, I mean, the Democrats feel that listen, you know, you're running a business; it's your responsibility to run a safe and healthy business, and we shouldn't have the taxpayer. Uh, you know, pay for any, mis you know, potential mistakes you might make. Uh, the GOP feels differently. They feel that, uh, you know, not having this coverage for liability, uh, you know, is is uh, really hindering a lot of people from doing business and holding them back. And, um, you know, so both both parties have their reasons for either supporting or not, for, you know, supporting, uh, you know, liability coverage as part of the stimulus deal. What are your thoughts on on whether or not we, we will see some type of coverages for, for, businesses for, for you know, COVID-related liabilities? Yeah, it's been one of the big outstanding issues. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce made it their number one issue, uh, had been pushing it hard. Uh, McConnell said early on he didn't want to support any stimulus bill without uh, the, protect, the liability protections. 
Right. Um, but of course, Democrats and Pelosi have pushed back against that. I still am hopeful that there's room for compromise there. I think it might be a little more watered down than what you know maybe the chamber and McConnell initially wanted. Um, but I think that uh, they could find a middle ground that would protect businesses, um, but also something that could pass. Uh, but it is one of the you know outstanding sticking points that they have not been able to resolve as of yet. Fair enough. All right, let's turn to taxes, uh, Mike. I know that you know this is an area that you're you know have been following, and you know I myself am um, you know near and dear to my heart. Uh, when President-elect Biden was running for office, uh, he was you know talking about a lot of tax increases, uh, both on individuals and corporations. Um, and I thought maybe um, you know now that he has been elected and he takes office, um, maybe I can ask you to to discuss or lay out some of the potential tax increases that he was talking about that would impact businesses um, and, and also your thoughts on whether or not uh, you know, these things can, can actually get done in such a divided Congress. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a question we talk and think about a lot here at Paycheck, as you can imagine, since it's so front of mind with so many of our clients. Um, you know, there's, everybody's probably uh, pretty acquainted with uh, the pretty dramatic differences uh, in terms of uh, policy platforms between, you know, uh, President Trump and President-elect Biden during the election. Um, you know, I think uh, Biden was really looking to kind of uh, roll back a lot of the things that uh, were, were centerpieces of tax reform, um, the tax reform legislation that got passed by President Trump in 17. Um, how successful those things will be, um, certainly still to be determined, my sense is, uh, and everybody's certainly aware of the, the current dynamic. Um, we have two runoff elections in, uh, in Georgia early January. Um, but even if those, uh, even if the Democrats are able to take both of those, we think it's going to be really difficult um, to push, you know, really dramatic tax uh, changes, tax legislation through Congress based on just the, 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 you know, the, both the impact and the, and the, the attention on that and then just the, the division that's going to re probably in any case uh, still be there. So some of those really big changes around significant um, increases uh, in corporate tax rates uh, and things along that line. You know, another one that's got a lot of um, a lot of attention is the uh, potential increase in FICA tax kind of after um, you get up to that. Uh, $400,000 wage uh, base and start. So it's, let, uh, let me FICA interrupt you on, back in. Yeah, let me interrupt you on that one. So yeah, the FICA tax, it's, uh, it, he wants to create what they call it a, a donut hole. So, um, right, and, and that's what, so I think we're, we're all, you're, you're taxed on FICA, both employers, employees and then the employers to match up to around $137,000. Is that about right? And then, you know, what, what you know, a president-elect Biden wants to do is say, okay, then anybody that makes more than over $400,000, once you get over that amount, uh, the tax would kick back in again. And, and that would affect both employees and employers. Is that, is that correct, what he's proposing? It would. So again, that would be, again, and, and next year it's projected to be the wage base there, $142,000 and change. So the, again, the proposal would be uh, once, uh, once you, you, you'd be taxed up to that wage base and then it would go into the donut hole. Yeah. And then when you get up to the 400,000, it would kick back in again, obviously, uh, you know, looking to replenish the social security trust fund and things like that. Again, we think given the current setup, that's unlikely that will, that will get the support it needs in Congress to pass. But 
certainly watching that very closely, uh, as well as all these developments. You know, certainly um, our presumption is if there is eventually a stimulus program, there'll be a lot of tax implications there as well around new credits, enhancements to some of the things that are out there now, like employee retention and so forth. So we're watching that really, really closely. Uh, the other thing we're, that, that um, we're pretty sure is going to happen and will probably be within uh, a President Biden's um, jurisdiction will be some changes to how the IRS kind of conducts business. Um, you know, they're, we talk to the IRS a lot. They're, 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 they're ready to really get out there and start more vigorous enforcement, um, looking at some of those loopholes that are out there, uh, and, and really looking at just basic compliance with a lot of the tax rules that are out there. It's, it's, you know, even in employment um, tax, which we're obviously very familiar with here at Paycheck. So we think that's, uh, and certainly may, trying to make our clients aware of the fact that you could see a much more, uh, again, active enforcement regime uh, with the IRS. And, and I think uh, Biden's already made it pretty clear that that's going to be one of his, his priorities. So we're trying to make sure people are really aware of that as well. All right, Mike. So thanks very much. And, you know, it looks like from the perspective of, of having a big tax bill go through, uh, it's going to be very difficult in, you know, in, in this very divided Congress. So, Lori, let, you know, let me turn to you. I mean, although we might not see significant, you know, tax increases, at least in the next two years, uh, you know, what about labor? I mean, a Biden administration can do uh, some things when it comes to labor and employment law uh, that would affect all of our businesses. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think if we go back to what Mike said about enforcement with tax law, uh, that's going to be similar along the lines with the regulatory bodies, such as the Department of Labor, the you know the EEOC, the NLRB. You're going to see a change in guard, um, so to speak. Now, the NLRB there isn't even a, a, a open seat up until August that uh, mm -hmm. could change the trajectory of that board, but um, the other ones, when you look at things like um, Biden's platform, what he can't get done from a regulatory perspective. So when we talk about minimum wage, he, he um, campaigned on a platform of a $15 minimum wage, where um, obviously with a closely divided Congress, regardless of whether they, they take the two Georgia seats or not, it will be razor thin margins. So probably not a lot that can get done on, on more robust policy, but, the, but as far as the regulatory buys, uh, the prevailing wage laws and federal contracts, what, you know, enforcement of those can, can have an effect on, on how we look at wages. You know, the states will obviously jump into a lot of these um, and fill the gaps where the federal government doesn't. Um, additionally, you know, we more recently had a change to the overtime rule. The, mm -hmm. the salary threshold was brought up to just over 35,000. Mm -hmm. um, now, under the Obama administration, they had proposed just over 47,000. Right. Uh, but so there, there is the potential that this is probably not a priority for the administration, but they could look at those thresholds as ways of boosting kind of those middle-class wages, which Biden, again, platformed was heavily um, attuned to. So I think you're going to see that as well as um, some other tweaks around the edges on rules that the Trump administration put into place, whether they be on um, joint employment, that you're going to see unwind 
Um, there is also a rule coming up uh, for the DOL on um, the classification of employment that eases um, getting that in, uh, workers classified as independent contractors. It's largely expected that if that rule is finalized, that the Biden administration would unwind that. Again, without those two Georgia seats, that could be some time because there are particular arcane rules of how you get uh, changes through a regulatory body. So I think you're going to see a lot of rule-based changes, a lot of things that the Trump administration did via executive order or through the regulatory bodies. You're going to see that kind of unwind and um, go back to more of that labor-friendly sort of perspective that, that uh, was under the Obama administration. And this is pretty typical of switches in the administration. And again, there are a lot of other things that the state probably is going to fill in the gaps, like some of the paid leave that has been a trend across the states. We're unlikely now to see any of Biden's proposals, whether they be paid sick or paid um, family medical leave. Those things are probably not going to come to fruition. So those are where you see the states jump in, and you already have over the course of the past decade seen those kind of trend upward. You know, Jean, um, uh, this is that I was just going to say, we really have seen that trend of more executive orders and yeah. uh, more regulatory action with the gridlock in Congress, the last few presidents. I mean, it started with President Obama when there was so much gridlock um, that you saw him doing a lot by executive order, a lot by regulation. He got a lot of criticism for that, but then Trump really kept it up. And, yeah. uh, you know, when they weren't able to repeal and replace ACA, he did a lot on healthcare, which I know we're gonna get into later, but a lot on healthcare through regulation, a lot on the DOL and labor side. Yeah. And so, and I think Biden has indicated he wants to do as much um, or more than Trump on the regulatory side. So I think it's sort of, as Congress has, has been divided and we've seen gridlock, it's kind of the new normal that they they really um, presidents are really aggressive on this. Yeah, you know, Ben, I I have to ask you because I, I I know we've talked you know prior about this that you're a little bit of a student about you know on the Senate, and um and I I think do our audience would appreciate I mean just just very briefly you know a little civics lesson because there's a lot of hype around uh, the elections are going on in Georgia in January and theoretically if the if the Democrats win both seats. Uh, it would be a 50-50 split. Kamala Harris would, you know, then be able to, you know, be the deciding vote. So a lot of people might walk away from that saying, oh, well, if that happens, then I guess Biden will be able to push through all the legislation that he wants to push through. But, you know, as Laurie is saying, that, that that's really unlikely. And, you know, so that I'm kind of, why, why is that unlikely? I mean, if the Democrats control the House and they have majority control of the Senate, um, you tell explain to us why that doesn't necessarily mean Biden has a green light to get his legislation through. Yeah, it's a good question. And so when you look at Congress, I mean, the House has always been designed as majority rule. And mm -hmm. so the speaker and the leadership have a lot of power to set the agenda. And with the majority, they can really get a lot done. Um, but the Senate has the tradition of a filibuster. And so, you know, to overcome a filibuster, you need 60 votes. And so there's always been this tradition that one senator um, can make a big difference. Yep. And so, um, you know, if you don't have those 60 votes, uh, it's very hard to get stuff done. Uh, there's much more of a tradition to work across party lines to try to build those coalitions. We've seen that water down a little bit in, in recent years with some of the, the nomination stuff. Now you just need 51 votes. 
Um, but you also have a lot of moderate, a lot of moderate senators. You've got folks like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Susan Collins from Maine, who just won re-election. Um, and, and they don't necessarily vote the party line. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, when we were talking about taxes or, or some of this, you know, employment labor stuff, I think was uh, Mike was right on that, um, you know, I don't see uh, Joe Manchin, for example, voting for a big tax increase. So right. even if it's 50-50, uh, there's that tradition that um, that each senator kind of speaks for themselves. And it's not always, you know, the, the majority party um, gets everything they want. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. Thank you. And that's very helpful. I mean, senators themselves serve six-year terms and, and, you know, only a third of the Senate is up for re-election in two years from now. And that's the way that body was was designed, right? That's why they ratify international treaties and that's why they confirm cabinet ministers. They're supposed to be above the mob fray of the House, right? And uh, be able to, you know, make some decision more in the national interest and they do switch party lines. You know, Mike, Laurie, you know, was, she, she mentioned about, you know, classifications of independent contractors. Uh, now, you know, President-elect Biden uh, supported the, the AB5 law in California, uh, which was really forcing a lot of uh, employers to reclassify, you know, your independent contractors as employees. Uh, and, you know, you know, these are like, you know, independent contractors that were like revenue generating for those employers. Uber and Lyft and some of the rideshare companies, you know, won an exemption from that, but it's still there. Biden supported that. Um, independent contracting is an interesting thing because it's, um, it's not exactly, um, you know, it, it, these are rules over independent contractors, rules that could be changed by the IRS, by the Treasury Department that may or may not necessarily need congressional approval because we're not levying more taxes. Is that, is that a fair statement? And do you think, Mike, that there really could be a, you know, a, you know, a change to how we, and I ask you this because I, I have about a dozen independent contractors in my business, and uh, it's it's a concern to me. It, it, it's a great question, and it's uh, you know it's it's a complicated question, like most things are in, in yeah. this uh, in this topic. Um, you, you know, and, and you mentioned the California vote that just 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 occurred in the you know the at the at the ballot place. Uber and Lyft got a, got a great win, um, in, you know, in their minds in terms of being able to to point to the fact that you know they could classify. Um, their workers as independent contractors, um, which a lot of people are looking as a potential precedent that 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 is probably going to get addressed at the at the federal level, uh, as you 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 kind of alluded to, President Trump's VOL uh, did recently put some stuff in place that made it easier for um, workers to be considered independent contractors as well. The, the the thing that makes it a little bit complicated is there's different angles to it. There's a kind of a labor angle. There's a, certainly a tax angle to it. Uh, in terms of, you know, do those um, employees have to worry about payroll taxes, unemployment taxes? So one of the things that makes it tough to get a definitive answer on that is there's different aspects to it, workers' compensation, you know, even insurance pieces to it. So um, we're quite certain that'll be one of the things that, that the Biden administration is going to be interested in getting after quickly, given, uh, you know, the, how closely that's, that's linked to that, that, their agenda. Um, but how quickly they'll be able to do that, uh, given the fact that if it, it's too expansive, you know, some of that may have to get into the legislative side of things, which, you know, as we've talked about, may be challenging to do. So um, we're, we're certain it's going to be a priority um, and how it all comes together, especially with, you know, different um, movement at the federal and state level. Um, it, it's, it's an area that um, we're, we're watching closely. One of the things that's interesting 
that, you know, we're watching uh, as well is, you know, could there potentially be some kind of hybrid model that's kind of a win-win where, you know, um, you could still um, consider workers as independent contractors, but um, still make sure they get some degree of, of benefits, like whether it's workers' comp or some kind of paid leave, um, things like that, overtime that uh, could be provided by the employer, but not put them in that that uh, kind of legal realm that they're thus the employer and have to uh, align with that whole set of requirements. So really, hmm. really interesting stuff, portable benefits. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be something uh, for employers telling our clients, um, if you use independent contractors, keep an eye on this. And we're, we're really trying to keep our, our finger on the pulse there as well. Yeah. So Mike, so, okay. So give me some free advice here. Like what, you know, I've got about a dozen independent contractors. What, what should I be doing this year? I mean, you said about keeping an eye on this, but is there anything like, should we be updating their, their contracts? Should I be you know, making any kind of consideration before I bring on another independent contractor? Um, or should it just be business as usual for now? You know, I'd say it's probably, this is my off the record, not yeah. speaking for paychecks advice, but I, you know, I think it's a little bit premature to make a lot of changes that it's a very, okay. uh, it's a very volatile uh, topic in, in, in most states and certainly where you would expect the Biden administration to go, you know, you're going to, you're going to kind of certainly lean towards considering workers almost in many circumstances as, as, as employer employees. So I think as the um, as things start to clarify a little bit, there may be more wiggle room, maybe not too far down the road, for uh, employers to maybe be a little bit more aggressive in in calling people independent contractors. But you know what we're generally making sure people are aware of now, probably most prudent to kind of stick with with the requirements until uh, something more definitive happens. Okay, uh, healthcare, uh, you know not a big expense, right? I mean, it's only probably like the third or fourth biggest line item on any small businesses, P&L. Um, and obviously, I, I, you know, a lot of big, you know, potential changes that could happen or not. Uh, President-elect Biden uh, supports, I think there was a house health care bill at the end of June uh, that was uh, really basically laying out uh, the framework for what uh, President-elect Biden wants to do for the most part, uh, which is really to fully restore the, you know, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, bring back the individual mandates, uh, increase spending on Medicare, provide funding for dreamers, you know, those immigrants that were uh, brought over here by their, by their parents, whether legal or not, uh, things like that. And, and, and Lori, you know, one of the big things about healthcare uh, things, I mean, you know, a president, a Trump administration wanted to provide more options for employers. So through executive order, he created association health plans and skinny plans and health reimbursement accounts and all of that. And I, so, so let me actually come back to you first and Lori and say, first of all, um, association health plans, right? Um, out of here. I mean, uh, should we, should we, do you think they're going to go away? Well, first of all, they, they existed before, um, okay. the rules changed. Right. Uh, and so just to clarify all these things, even the short-term limited duration insurance, that existed. The rules changed. It used right. to be you could only have it for three months. It was meant to, as uh, a transitional insurance. And then it went for, you could have it to a year and renew up to three. So a lot of these things were rule-based changes of things that existed, but they opened up the options. Um, mm. There's already litigation. We're still waiting on a final decision on the 
AHPs, the association health plans um, from the DC circuit court. So that could already be something that, that uh, they don't even have to change the rules on the, the court may, may do it for them. So we'll have to wait and see on that. I think your point though is a lot of the rules that the Trump administration put into play it, is the Biden administration going to unwind? Um, most likely a lot of them that, that impact the um, kind of the quality of the insurance or the adverse selection in the various markets, which are sort of the arguments against the association health plans or the short-term limited duration insurance. So I, I think what you're going to see is, again, executive orders that will unwind those. There are some things that, you know, we have the Supreme Court case right now um, that was just heard on November 10th mm -hmm. uh, that is challenging the, um, the entirety of the Affordable Care Act again. And we've been here before. We've been here a few times before. A few times. Uh, <laughs> I've written several things a few times before yeah, on I'm this. sure so you have. Just to, to say that right now everything is, you know, all the obligations under the Affordable Care Act, it is still standing. We'll wait and see. Oral arguments were heard on the 10th. Um, but there are lots of things that, that look like the uh, Supreme Court could use, even just throwing the case out based on standing, that yeah. we may not have that go away completely. Or they'll look at the provisions they can sever. So if, if something does happen, then Congress will be challenged with, actually figuring out how, how they don't upset the markets tremendously. So that, will, that might be something that they come together on. Outside of that and the executive orders, I think one of the big ones is the change they made to Section 1332, the state innovation waivers. Okay. So Biden uh, campaigned on the platform of uh, a public option, right? That was originally... Um, you know, in some of the packages before the final package of the Affordable Care Act came in, the, the public option. The states may utilize something like a 1332 waiver to get some of those pass-through funds. The Trump administration changed the trajectory of those 1332 waivers to ensure that um, they were done um, with the mindset of increasing affordable private insurance. So those kind of things, unwinding those in the Biden administration means that states might, um, again, look at this option that was really meant to allow them to figure out how to formulate systems. So we might see more patchwork state systems in mm -hmm. absence of robust changes to the federal government. And, and if if there is some agreement, we talk about the moderates. The moderates go both ways, too. So some of these little tweaks on the edges are possible in Congress. Not a public option, not a federal public option. I think that's mm -hmm. going to be rule-based. But there are other things that, you know, even expanding the credits or fixing the family glitch for the premium tax credits. Those kind of things might get garnered bipartisan support. Now, depending on whether they're actually put up in front of the Senate, which Mitch McConnell may have a, a lot of say on if, if Georgia goes the way that most uh, are currently anticipating. Mm -hmm. But there are potential for um, some bipartisan tweaks along the edges 
assuming the Affordable Care Act is, is still standing after we go through and um, that probably won't be till late spring, maybe even the end of session June for the Supreme Court to decide. But uh, we'll wait and see on that a lot. Um, how, I was just going to go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think listening to Laurie and, and thinking about sort of the conversation over the last year, the last couple of years, I think one of the amazing things is how close to the status quo we might end up. I mean, a year ago, we were talking about Medicare for all and Bernie Sanders and, and other folks sure. were really pushing that hard. Um, we had repeal and replace before that in the Supreme Court case. And it looks like we might end up in a place where, you know, even a public option has has very little chance to get through Congress. Um, the Supreme Court might end up not throwing out any any part of ACA. And so we might find ourselves in a situation where we're very close to status quo, um, although I agree that you know, on the regulatory side and, and possibly in Congress, there could be small changes. You know, we could talk, you know, this entire hour about healthcare and, and questions that I have because there's, you know, again, it's a, it's a giant expense for employers. But Lori, I, I just, I, I did want to just ask a couple specific questions just to get your thoughts on one, health reimbursement accounts. Uh, they've grown in popularity and they've, they've, they've expanded over the past couple of years. And, and I, um, I want to get your thoughts as to whether you know you are saying to your clients, your customers, that um, you know they're, they're they're likely to continue on. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on HRAs? Well, I, I guess um, are you talking about HRAs? Because HRAs again are something that's existed for quite some time. Are we talking about the we independent, the, the yeah. individual contribution HRAs, the ICRAs? It, Correct. I, I I think if we're talking about the ICRAs, then um, that again was rule-based, right. not um, change-based. And, and we may very well see um, some tweaks to that. I don't know if it's going to be a complete undoing. Un unlike the short-term limited duration insurance, which I mm -hmm. think will be something that falls quickly, I think there might be some nuances here where we can recognize that encouraging employers to contribute to premiums is not a, is not a bad thing. However, we don't want adverse selection. We don't want dumping. So how do we do that? Because QSERA was, um, was something before the independent, um, the individual, I apologize, the individual coverage sure. um, health reimbursement accounts. Mm -hmm. that, that existed for small employers. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's trying to figure out what that, that sweet spot is. So I'm not sure they're going to go away in, in their entirety, even those rule-based ones. Um, particularly, there were some safeguards in the, the ICRA rules, the um, individual coverage HRAs, that, that um, sort of helped prevent that um, adverse selection. You know, they're very, very complicated. Um, so, again, I think there's probably some middle ground there, okay. as long as we're not looking at trying to take people out of the markets uh, and, and wind up with a place where, the, uh, where those markets have tremendous adverse selection for people with health conditions. You know, I forgot to mention this in the labor time. We've got about 15 minutes to go, and I do want to, you know, I do have a few other topics, but Mike, I'm going to pick on you with this one um, to just, just pick your brain. I know that, uh, you know, President-elect Biden was proposing when he was campaigning uh, changes uh, to 401k plans. And, um, you know, I wanted to see, you know, based on your familiarity with what he's proposing, I'm curious, I, I'd, I'd love you to, if you could, 
you know, sum up what changes he is, you know, he, he has proposed. Um, and we can jump into help. Uh, but then also, um, uh, and what you're the likelihood you think of something like this actually happening. Are you comfortable talking about that? I am. And it's something, uh, again, that we watch very closely as well. We have a very large uh, 401k business. Um, you know, a, a lot of what he's proposing, um, again, is, is tied to the tax pieces of it. And he's been yeah. pretty, pretty vocal that, you know, he, he'd like to do some things that would um, maybe dilute a little bit of the, the, the tax advantages to some higher earners now and, and provide some, some more advantageous tax pieces to folks that may not be as actively participating in a retirement plan and maybe a little bit lower down on the wage scale. So um, those are things that, that kind of fall more into that tax piece. But he's also uh, proposing a lot of things that um, would make it easier or certainly more um, more uh, palatable for a, uh, a small business to offer a plan in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, some, some increased credits for opening up a plan and things along that line. Um, it, so, so things like that, you know, we're generally very supportive of. We, we really uh, kind of institutionally want people to, to obviously have a, a safe and secure retirement. Um, one of the things, and, and Thad and I talk about this all the time, that we do think may be an area for, um, bipartisan uh, agreement, if, if that concept is even, is even believable in Washington now, <laughs> is in this whole area of retirement security. You know, everybody, I think everybody in, in D.C. Um, believes that there's, a, uh, that there's um, it's kind of all over the apple pie. Everybody wants Americans to save more. Right. That's one of the things that I think is driving um, uh, President-elect Biden's focus on some of the Social Security stuff. But um, there, there's certainly things out there that, again, in, in total, uh, would make it easier for workplace retirement savings programs to open up. Um, and we think that is an area, if there is going to be an area, that there might be some degree of bipartisan agreement and, and, and traction, that might be one of them. So we're watching that closely, um, certainly um, talking to a lot of the folks in, in, in D.C. about that and giving them our thoughts. You know, we've got a lot of clients currently that have plans and a lot uh, that don't. And, right. and, you know, we're certainly interested in trying to get them there. And we think some of the things that President-elect Biden is doing may help us get there. And, and Lori and, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, just so, so our, our viewers can understand what, what uh, President Biden is, is considering, what he's proposed is to have a 401k contributions, um, whatever they're made, instead of getting a pre-tax deduction for those contributions, you would get a tax credit based on those contributions. And I believe when you do the math, um, that favors lower and middle income workers based on tax rates um, and not as favorable to higher earners and, you know, wealthier earnings. So, you know, some people, well, that might discourage those higher earners for putting away for retirement or business owners from doing that. Uh, but then again, you know, you have more people that are lower income, middle income, having the opportunity uh, to put money, more money away because they get more taxes saved by doing that. Um, that's good because, you know, they, they can save more for retirement that helps a business owner. And let's not forget, the more that our employees put money away for retirement, uh, you know, the more we can and still be under uh, discrimination rules. So, you know, it could be a win-win for both. And, uh, and maybe you're right, Mike, maybe that is something that is a, uh, uh, you know, you can, can get somebody. I know, again, you know, you know and, and Thad, I'm sure you would agree, there, there is there's certainly a bipartisan approval for doing something to help people save more. And there's been, there's been proposals in the past uh, for it to change our retirement laws. And 
that could be something that happens. Yeah, um, and that that half line and and Biden's uh, platform made people very nervous. That said, equalizing the tax benefits, but mm-hmm. um, but I think if you look at the larger you know tax agenda, it's very uh, or, or retirement agenda, it's very bipartisan. Has a lot of incentives in there to help small businesses provide these plans, and um, and I do think we could see some some real movement around this. Great. All right, so we got about 10 minutes to go. So, Thad, let me, uh, let me ask you to sum up a few things. Um, I'm going to combine both, uh, you know, both you know, the presidential administration and, and, and Congress as well. Um, and let's talk about what you think are top priorities, right? I mean, these will be the things that, you know, that, that President Biden is going to want to get done, uh, you know, in his first 100 days, you know, of, the, you know, of his administration. And then let's talk about assuming that, you know, uh, you know Mitch McConnell remains majority leader in the Senate and we have, you know, we have House Majority Leader Pelosi. Um, you know, what do you think would be some congressional priorities as well? And maybe, maybe there's some overlap. So, what are your thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, and you really have to look at, you know, what were kind of their goals, and and you look at some of the policies that that um, uh, Biden proposed during the campaign. They were pretty ambitious around the environment, around taxes, around healthcare, um, and then you look at what's achievable. And I think that's kind of the world we live in right now, uh, sort of. Uh, with Congress um, being where it is, which we've talked a lot about today, you know, what can realistically get through? And I think that's going to be a much more modest agenda. Um, Mm -hmm. Biden has said COVID-19, kind of getting a handle on that, both on the health side and the economic side, uh, will be his top priority. Um, So I think a stimulus bill, obviously front and center. Um, But then you look at something like infrastructure, uh, which has a lot of, uh, you know, generally has bipartisan support. People uh, like the idea of investing in our roads and our broadband, um, things like that. Um, You know, the rubbing point often uh, comes down to how you pay for it and how it's structured exactly. Um, But I think that uh, you could see both parties getting behind a big infrastructure bill. Um, And then things like retirement and, uh, you know, they're, uh, privacy issues out there. There's there's things like paid leave where you could potentially come together in a bipartisan way, but um, but I think it's going to take some real compromise to get a lot of that stuff through. Yeah, you know, the Trump administration actually proposed uh, like a you know, paid leave uh, for, for new parents, I believe, um, a couple times in their budgets. I think that was driven by, uh, you know, Ivanka, you know, who you know, was a big proponent of that. Um, I know that has a lot of Democratic support as well. And, you know, do you think there's there's that there's you know a, a chance of any type of national paid leave bill happening out of Congress in you well, know in the first two years? And when you think about it from the business perspective, one of the things that a lot of businesses want is consistency. It's yeah. hard when you have patchwork of laws, whether it's paid leave or or minimum wage or whatever the issue is, where you have you know different laws at the state level, the local level, the national level. And so I think, you know, that creates an opening where folks yeah. want consi- uh, consistency, uh, but it comes down, it always comes down to how do you pay for it? You know, is it all on the employer? Is it all on the employee? Is there somewhere in the middle that, that uh, everyone could get behind? And so, you know, I'm not too bullish on this stuff because I know it's hard, um, but I think that there could be opportunities. Okay. You know, Mike, uh, that had mentioned about, you know, having consistency and uh, the reason why there's there's so much inconsistency is because when the federal government doesn't do something, the states and the local governments wind up doing something. And again, you know, you know, under the Trump administration was, uh, you know, more focused on letting the states, you know, localized 
let them do stuff, less federal involvement. Um, we might see a you know, change in that uh, with the Biden administration, but I don't think that's going to stop a lot of the states from doing things. So can you give us some, some, some thoughts on which states have um, some significant legislation that you would likely see in the next couple of years that would impact employers uh, regarding their employees and their businesses? Yeah, there, there's, it's a great question. It's one of the big lessons that we learned from you know, the last election where exactly that happened. You know, uh, uh, President Trump ran on, on kind of reducing a lot of the federal reg regulation. So a lot of it cascaded down to the state level, and we saw a lot of states being very aggressive in that regard. Um, we're starting to, to, to see a, a little bit of a trend, you know, certainly in the run-up to this election where a, a lot of states, certainly the states that, that have kind of that, you know, we call it a, a trifecta, but those lure states where pretty much all the levers of government are controlled by the Democrats are, are typically more aggressive in some of these areas. Um, but even in some of the other states, you know, those things that really um, are kind of social policies, employment policies, uh, there has been some traction there. Some of the states have really been kind of holding back a little bit to see what happens, and probably still will for a while, what happens at the federal level. I think you're right um, that, that the Biden administration will try to do some of the stuff mm. um, on the employment side. Uh, certainly paid leave is one we talked about at, at a broader level. Um, but again, it's going to be difficult to get some of that stuff through there kind of on a grand scale. Certainly some regulatory things and some more enforcement. Um, but we believe there's going to be some states, especially in, in certain topics. We mentioned paid leave. There's a, a tremendous amount of, of momentum around that that certainly was magnified by the COVID experience. Pay equity is a really, really significant one. Um, you know, there's a couple. Uh, California sets, not surprisingly, sets the, sets the pace on a lot of these things, mm -hmm. things like privacy. And, um, you know, they, they've just instituted a requirement, again, to have reporting of salaries by uh, gender and race and certain other factors to try to identify um, potential pay disparities amongst certain groups. That was a kind of an Obama uh, administration initiative that the Trump administration kind of rolled back. Um, if we don't see some movement in some of these areas at the federal level, we do anticipate that the, the momentum will st still keep pretty brisk at the state level. And some of those things. Uh, and then certainly on the tax side is where we probably see the, the, the most uh, potential activity and, and really uh, making sure our, our clients are aware of the potential for movement there. You know, we talked about the stimulus stuff already. One of the big pieces that everybody's kind of holding their breath on is, is what will eventually emerge from there right. in terms of state and local um, stimulus specifically. So many states, as everybody knows, really been battered by uh, COVID uh, from yeah. a budgetary standpoint. And, you know, we're talking some of the states and they're saying, you know, if, if that stimulus money doesn't come through, that federal money doesn't come through, that we could could help balance our budget, uh, help suppress potential really significant SUI rate or unemployment rate increases for, for employers. Uh, some states are telling us nothing's going to be off the table, uh, all the way from brand new uh, taxes to really, really, really rigorous enforcement, especially with things like sales tax and so forth, or brand new, totally brand new tax uh, tax categories to begin with. So that's an area that kind of has a ripple effect. Um, but we know, uh, again, when you, you, you look at that interaction between federal policy and the election results and states, it is potentially going to be really impactful for a lot of businesses. How about um, harassment and uh, discrimination? I mean, that, those are big issues, harassment in particular, 
um, and still remain to in, in wake of the Me Too movement. Should uh, any employers in any states uh, should be on the lookout for more rules, regulations, requirements uh, related to that that you're that you become aware of? R really much so, and again, in, in a whole no number of states, we're right. seeing um, that be uh, increasingly uh, a focus uh, at the state level. And, and the trend that we're seeing a lot of is um, uh, the, the 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 employer size, the employee size um, decreasing, meaning yeah. that you know a lot of these had really only applied in terms of having to give really um, specific harassment training and, and, and you know, similar um, responsibilities or obligations, usually only applying to bigger companies, 100, 500. We're seeing a lot of the states, uh, New York, Connecticut, some of the ones in our kind of general headquarters area, pushing that down to even the smallest um, smallest employers with, with only a handful of employees actually have to do that training, which, again, if, you, if you're, a, again, a five-person or three-person landscaping group, that, that's disruptive, um, both from a cost standpoint and uh, getting people off the, you know, off the job standpoint. Um, and, and we're also seeing, uh, you know, even even uh, some of our clients having to prove to their insurers that they're doing uh, some of these trainings in the harassment area um, because, you know, they're concerned about, you know, am I going to be as, you know, if I'm insuring you, sure. am I going to potentially be asked to cover a claim sure. because you didn't do the training you were supposed to and so forth. So lo lots of, uh, lots of, um, potential things to think about in many states across the country. Okay. So, Lori, I'm going to give you last word. I know we wanted to talk about sort of timing of stuff, but I'm going to go a little bit off script with you um, because I, you know, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm a paychecks customer or, or if not, but if I'm an HR manager or if I'm in, you know, in charge of people in my company, um, let's put you in that role. Um, hopefully you'll be a paychecks for a number of years, but let's say you, or an HR manager at one of your customers or uh, in charge of, you know, employees at your customers, what would be your focus given the new administration? What would be sort of your top priorities over the next year or two? Well, I, I think um, I'm hopeful that companies are doing these things on their own anyways, because it's important to retain talent. Mm -hmm. So I, I think some of the, Shifts as far as uh, pay equity. Mm -hmm. Mike mentioned before about the uh, reporting. Pay transparency will be huge. And we now live in a data-driven society. So as things become more transparent, people make choices based on that. So really a, a good audit of where you're at, where your diversity and inclusion programs are. And I think those things are going to carry over on the state and the federal level, not just in regulation, but uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware um, a lot of small businesses rely on either federal or state contracts. Right. As, and, right. and so even, even if we don't have to go the hard road of making everyone, if you, if you want to engage in those businesses, you, know, you have to be cognizant of what your profile is. And, and you know you want to retain the best people. So again, you want to look at what your healthcare choices are. It's not necessarily a race to the bottom. That doesn't get you the talent necessary. So I, I think all these things are common sense things that hopefully um, regulation was more of a, a stick and the carrot was always um, the workforce. 
Lori Savage, Mike Traybold, Thad Inge, thank you guys very, very much for joining us today. Great information. Um, hopefully we'll be back in a few months. We'll see where things stand and um, update all of our viewers and our community on uh, actions that they should be taking. So uh, if you need help or advice or anything with your payroll or your HR, visit paychecks.com. My name is Gene Marks. Again, thank you very much. Have a great day. This podcast is property of Paychecks, Inc., 2020, all rights reserved.